My name is Jason. Some of you have been coming to church for a while and you haven't seen me. Um, but uh, I, I, I say I'm the lead pastor here, but I'm just sort of on a team of people and we all lead and I get evaluated by our elder board. So it's my fault if things go wrong, but it's, it's really a big team of people that carry this church and love you and pray for you. And so uh, it's my privilege and pre pleasure to lead around here. Hang on, I gotta get this lined up because I'm OCD. The grains of wood have to go. This has to be on the crack. Anybody else like that? <laughs> I feel you, I feel you. The generations. I already know our theme for next year starting in June is gonna be generations next year. Concern for the generations, my heart for the generations, exploring the generations, the effect of former generations on us, the generation we're in, the generation to come that would speak of the good deeds of God and pass them down to the next generation. I think about this a lot with my kids. I have five kids, 23, 21, 19, 12, pray for that. Josh is going through puberty. <laughs> and that's weird. And then my 10-year-old, uh, who's 125 pounds, he's going to be a good football player. <laughs> but I think about the generation, what I'm passing down to them. And then, obviously, I think about generation I came from. My mom and dad passed away in the last year and a half. And what have they passed down to me? I've got the baton now. Uh, sometimes I'm like, I don't want the baton yet, but I got it. And they were keepers of the flame for a long time for me, and now I've got to carry the flame and be a keeper of the flame of what they put in my heart. I want to have just sort of a banner over my kids and the people that God's put in my sphere of influence and just kind of be a banner of love that they can find safety and security and protection and provision in. But generations are, are so critical, as we sang about. In fact, part of that comes out of a passage that you've heard the first part of the passage. Even in movies, it was interesting. There was a trailer last night. It was on the trailer, and my wife and I were watching. It's like, isn't that interesting? It's the first part of this verse in Deuteronomy 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. We don't hear the second part of the verse. Oh, it's the sins of the father visiting the children to the third and fourth generation. And what we're talking about here is less curses that you can't get away from and just consequences of behavior and decisions. The behaviors and decisions of the former generation that we're making today and the generations to come have an influence, have a power to the third and fourth generation. But isn't it interesting in this passage, if you're just into numerology and numbers in general, that the sins of the father visit to the third and fourth generation, but the winds of the father visit to a thousand generations, which means to me, they're 250 times more potent and influential to carry on to the next generation if you love and make good decisions and obey. That's awesome. Our forefathers and mothers influenced us. 
Their lives had consequences. Our lives have consequences. I remember reading a book by Peter Cesaro. It was called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He's talking about people get saved, but they stay immature. What's up with that? Jesus kind of comes into their heart, but they're, they're still unhealed. And he had this phrase in it where he said this, um, Jesus might be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. You can invite Jesus in your heart and have salvation, but never take care of the brokenness and the trauma and the tragedies of your past generationally, and you'll stay unhealed and unhealthy. And I'll just use a word, annoying. Do you know some people are annoying and it's, they're annoying because they're broken. If you would look at their lives and where they came from, you'd have more mercy and compassion on what annoys you about them. But if you look at them as less annoying and more broken, you have more compassion on them, including your parents. I remember this was a big deal. I read it and I was 42 years old and I was running into it. I was going through the gauntlet. I was stressed. There was anger inside of me. I knew not from where it came from. I was feeling anxiety. I was feeling this desire to drink alcohol like a fish. I wanted to. I've never been drunk, but I wanted to drink this away. And some of you here know what I'm talking about. When you have anxiety and fear and life's crushing you and you're not finding pleasure in a lot of things and you're under the gun and you feel like you're not measuring up, that you're falling short. There was just a time in my life, age 42, we had just started the campaign for this building. Uh, Cammie was gonna graduate that year. So many things were happening in my life and I just felt like my life was crumbling inside and I just wanted to drink and I was angry. And I read that that quote, and I called my mom, weirdest conversation I ever had with her. I said, mom, this is gonna be weird, but I need to ask you a question. What was grandpa like when he was 42? Because I'm 42 and I'm just interested. She said, 42, that means I would have been, oh, that wasn't a good year. I said, pray continue. I would love to hear about that year when grandpa was 42. She said, when he was 42, his alcoholism was at the height. He would leave work, go to the bar, hang with his friends, sometimes come home, sometimes not come home. But when he came home, he and your grandma would fight so hard. They would swear at each other. I thought they were gonna get a divorce. I would hide in my room. And it was the year that your grandpa took my, his wife, my grandma, and threw her through the wall in his anger. Domestic violence in the house. It was also the year that your grandpa was drinking and he got in an accident and he was thrown from the vehicle and he slid down the pavement on his elbows and his knees and got back up and got back in the car and came home. And that was a turning point where my grandpa started to get on the road of sobriety. I mean, what would have happened even if my grandparents at that point said it's over and what would have happened to my mom? Would she have been my mom? Sort of the... the Downstream, it would have had so many effects, but I thought to myself, gosh, I'm 42. Mom, thanks for sharing that with me. I, I wanna actually reverse the curse in our family, if you don't mind. I wanna break free from the chains of grandpa in my bones. I don't know about you, but for the better part of my life, I rarely, if ever, considered the pain or the past 
of my own parents. Everything was about me, concentrated on me. They orbited around me. And I just never thought to turn around and ask them questions about their lives. We think about our father wounds and our mother wounds, but how often do we look with compassion on our parents and offer them mercy in their own personal pilgrimage? think about my dad, even as I lost my dad and how huge that was for me, it didn't occur to me until after I, I lost my dad that my dad lost his dad. And guess how old I was? I was 18. And I was going to college and I just graduated and the world was my oyster and I wanted to chase after everything in the world. Do you know how many dads I called my dad or asked my dad? No, how many times? None. None. He lost his dad in 1992. And he probably went through it, but I never turned around and actually thought anything about that. Remember when my dad was 30 years into ministry and another pastor came to the church and pushed him out of the church, was threatened by my parents, and he left his job, had no job, and went to Ontario Orchards, a fruit stand, and he swept the floors and mopped the floors at 4.30 every morning, making $7 an hour for years until he found another job. And in my heart, in my head, I have no idea, but I did not come to his aid and as a son, ask him questions and with compassion, support him and actually burden bear for my dad. What's up with that? So we think everything's about the present into the future and it's about our lives. But if you ever turned around and thought, man, my parents went through it too. This is the way it came to me this week. We know all too well our father wounds, but most of us don't know our father's wounds. We're starting just the next segment of our series in Genesis called The Holy Wild is much more relational, much more familial, talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I, Jacob, and I can't wait to get into this because I think it's really going to help you navigate and negotiate various perspectives on your extended family and your nuclear family. No matter who you are, you do not get through life without experiencing some challenging stuff on the home front. For some of you, home is where you hang your heart, and, and some of you here, home is where your heart got hanged. Genesis chapter 11, 27 through 32. Follow along with me in your Bible if you have it. If not, it'll be on the screen. And just pay attention to this family tree and every person in this family tree and what they went through. This is the account of Tara's family line. Terah was Abraham's father, by the by. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in the Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. And Abram and Nahor both married. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. 
I love reading the text. Um, I think you're aware of this if you've come to the church by now and just putting myself in the text. Just wonder what all these characters in this story and what the plot is and the character development, what they must have been thinking and what they must have been going through. And you can do this as you read the scriptures. It's always good to be like all these things that are going on here. What would it be like if I was in that story? What is God saying to me through this story? And so I just started reading it and saying, God, just show me different dynamic, psychological, psychosocial, different family dynamic aspects of this story so that we can glean truth today for ourselves. One particular sentence in this passage got my attention where it said, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in the Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. A father is not supposed to attend his son's funeral. A parent is not supposed to bury their child. While he was still alive, his son died. There's a lot of people in this room that that's happened to. In fact, there's some people in this room that a couple weeks ago that happened to. Another question to ask is, what do you do when something happens along the way that you weren't expecting? Something that wasn't supposed to happen, something that takes you out at the knees, a moment in time that it beds itself inside of your soul with the words, it was never supposed to be this way. Cannot live on this planet without something happened that's untimely and not say to yourself, this wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to be this way. I had my whole life planned out. It. We were on the right trajectory. Things were going great. And then that happened and changed everything. Thinking about losing your child while you're still alive. Do you ever wonder how death, loss, and grief turned our parents into who we know them to be now? I've noticed my father's generation absorbed the hits and hurts and didn't know how to communicate their pain. They didn't complain about their pain like we do. This can unfortunately cause us to misinterpret the nuanced story of their lives. Have you ever asked your parents, what are some of the most difficult things you've experienced? What was the most painful memory of your past? What is your greatest loss to date. I was talking to somebody this morning that was here last night and their father was sitting right next to him last night. And on the way home, she's like, so dad, what were some of the hardest things you went through? He's like, no, I haven't gone through a lot of hard things. Really? What about your dad dying at this age? And what about your divorce? And what about alcoholism? And what about all of this stuff? And he's like, oh yeah, I guess I've been through some things. I wonder if our parents had dreams and aspirations that got crushed along the way due to circumstances we may or may not know about. How many of you had high hopes early on in your life that have given way to heavy hits, one too many body blows that have caused you to double over and protect your vitals? Our parents' silence toward us often hides the story of life's violence toward them. 
We can misinterpret their silence as being about us and their silence might be about them. It's interesting, the, the longer you live and you go through things, you start to look back at your parents like, oh my goodness, I wonder if they went through that when they were their age. Maybe I should ask them about that. This happens simply with having kids, right? The minute you have a little newborn, this little blob, this dependent, this keeping you up at night and has like ear infections and all of this stuff, it's that time you go back to your mom and say, thank you so much. I had no idea how much I ruined your existence, right? (laughs) And that's just one little story of, you don't know until you go through it yourself to turn around and be like, you did this for me? It it goes on, even outside of the parents, and I couldn't help but Heron's children in this story. They seem to have a variety of reactions to their father's passing. Heron's son Lot seems unfazed by his dad's untimely death while his daughter Milka can't move on with her family when they decide to uh, relocate west in Canaan. Two entirely different reactions to the death of their dad. Are you ever bothered by how your siblings react differently than you do to life-shattering events? Maybe you're mad that your brother bounced back and ventured out, or maybe you're just frustrated that your sister won't get up and get on with her life. But the truth is that one person may need to leave the place of pain to find healing, while the other might need to stay where the death happened to feel close to them and at home in their heart, and neither is wrong. But it wasn't just his kids who had different responses to his passing. Even Heron's own siblings react differently to their brother's premature death. Abram got married, joined his dad in setting out to Canaan while his brother Nahor decided to remain in the place where he was born and his father died. Two brothers, two paths. Everyone grieves differently. Be gracious. Did you notice that Milka and Nahor were married and they both stayed behind when the rest of the family migrated to Canaan. Who you marry affects how you handle life's challenges. How many of you had a great relationship with your brother or sister only to have an in-law change everything about that dynamic? It does no good wishing it could go back to the way it was. Mercifully make amends with what is. Sometimes that introduction of that family and they stay in a certain place and don't grow out of it for whatever reason and you move on and they don't and the family splinters and fractures and breaks up and it's never the same and this is life. You gotta make amends with that in your heart. Often in our lives when it rains, it pours. Maybe you've even used the phrase, That only added insult to injury. Or maybe you've uttered the sentence, nothing like getting kicked when you're down. And I wonder if Abraham and Sarah felt this when soon after experiencing Haran's death, they began the battle of infertility. I've heard before that we're often only two big tragedies away from a breakdown. You just go through something huge. You attend a funeral. You go through that and you're just kind of getting on your feet. And then all of a sudden you go through another pain, 
that never seems to end and the heartbreak and the heartache just take over. You ever felt like you can't catch your breath? Like just when you're getting back on your feet from one devastating season, you get hard, hit, get hard again, hit hard again. Have you ever started to recover getting on your feet only to get knocked down again by another overwhelming bit of bad news? I know very few who escape life without experiencing a devastating one-two punch of death whispering to themselves, I don't think I can take anymore. Maybe you've uttered that phrase even recently. I can't do this anymore. I can't take any more. If one more thing happens, but that's how it comes. It comes in waves sometimes. Thinking as I looked at this passage too and comparing your suffering and struggles to someone else's, you ever done that? You think there were moments when Abraham and Sarah were jealous that their brother Heron and his wife had two wonderful kids while they were trying to get pregnant? Has that ever been you? Man, it must be great to be them. They get pregnant, they're having kids, we're struggling with infertility, and then all of a sudden, the other side comes. Is it possible Heron's wife looked at Sarah's brokenness over her barrenness and said, that's nothing compared to losing your spouse. Comparing your pain to someone else's gets you nowhere in life. But I want to circle back to Tara's experience of losing his son to see if we can develop maybe just a little bit of more mercy toward our parents, where their story stuck in their life. See, we don't get to see the response of Tara's wife to her son's death in this text, but do you ever wonder what conversations your parents have had or are having with each other to weather the storms of their life? Conversations you know nothing about because they've never talked about them with you and you've never asked? Often our parents only get credit or criticism for what they've done, but we rarely circle around to offer them affirmation for what they've overcome. What makes us think our parents don't need our encouragement? A basic recognition of their setbacks and a celebration for their comebacks. Don't wait for the funeral to eulogize them. Start today. I've done countless funerals. And it pains me to hear people talking about other people after they're gone and never having said that, those things to them while they're alive. I, I just, I love the times. In fact, my brother, we did it last week. We celebrated his 50th birthday and we sat around in a room and we were just sharing with him everything we love about him, all the hard things he's been through, the things we admire about him, just even prophetically saying, this is who we believe you to be and this is what we believe your future can be. And he sat there and, and in an awkward way, all of us siblings just poured out our heart to our brother and he's 50 years old and I don't know when he's gonna die, but I wanna tell him this before he's gone. Pretend that he's gone and then talk to him about what he means to you. Man. It's easy to look down on Tara for setting out to go somewhere and settling along the way. But how many people never set out in the first place like your parents did? People who've never failed because they never tried. 
The holy wild is a beckoning and it's always beckoning the human heart. At least Tara was brave enough, a brave enough soul to leave what was, he was in search of and what could be. Are you? When we're talking to my brother, we got done sharing and my brother is 50 years old and he's not married and he doesn't have any kids. And there's so much trauma in his childhood. I'm just learning about when he was a kid growing up and in his early teenage years and what happened at the hands of other people and, and relationships that broke his heart and a certain temperament that he had or personality that he had and how life crushed him and fears that besieged him early on. And he was scared about hurting other people and he was scared of being hurt by other people. And so it was easier for him to not get in a relationship where he could hurt or be hurt hurt. And now he's 50 years old. We got done pouring on thick our love and affection for him. And he got to the end and he wept. And this is what he said. I'm nowhere close to where I thought I'd be at age 50. How did I get here? How did I get here? What he's saying is like, when I was younger, I thought I'm going to get married and I'm going to have kids and I'm going to go into ministry. And he's like, right now I'm not in ministry because he had a mental breakdown the last couple years. And my brother just folded and this guy I looked up to and has so many gifts, so many gifts, such a great heart, loves people. He couldn't carry the burden of COVID and, and, and the death of George Floyd when he was a pastor in inner city Detroit and he started to fold. And then my dad died and then my mom died and my older brother couldn't take it anymore and he just fell apart and he was on medication and he needed help he became a dependent and we watched our brother turn into an infant and he's just starting to get back on his feet after three years but he's like I've led churches I've led people people loved me they looked up to me I thought I was going to be a pastor I thought I was going to be a father I thought I was going to be a husband who am I? I'm living in my sister's house working in construction this is not where I thought I was going to be how did I get here how did I get here Tara ventures out, he's just going after it and all of a sudden he leaves and he just gets to a place and he didn't make it as far as he wanted to go but he got the heron and he settled there and said, how did I get here? I just dreamed so much more, more ambitions, more aspirations. <sighs> but life gets to you along the way. Life doesn't pan out the way you plan it out. It hasn't in my life anyway. And we can throw stones at Tara's apparent resignation, but we have no idea how he was caring for his wife's uniquely broken soul. It's a hard admission, but we can often only go as far as our spouse if we want to honor the marriage relationship as primary and central. Men and women can carry pain differently and have different timetables of healing. Don't pursue something with reckless abandon if it means abandoning your wife. Maybe Tara could have gone to Heron and said, let's go, let's keep going. We're heading out, we're going to Canaan. But he looked at his wife and it's as far as she could get after losing her son and she couldn't carry anymore. And the risk that a lot of people take is for their ambition or to distract themselves from pain, they start distancing themselves from their wife and they accomplish their dream and then they get a divorce. And you know what? Sometimes it's 
admirable and honorable to say, this is as far as your mom can get, so this is as far as I'm going, because I love your mom, and this is where we're going to stay. You're going to have to go without us from here. When is the marriage going to get any credit through the pain? love this when I think about Heron being the son who died and Heron the place where he settled. Have you ever been triggered by something that stops you dead in your tracks? Something that reminds you of a past hurt and creates an emotionally allergic reaction? Do you think it's possible that when Tara came to a place with the same exact name as his son who died, Heron, that something in him froze in place? Have you ever been story stuck because of a trauma or tragedy you've experienced? I have. I did on Thursday. It was so small. I was going to get one of my man checkups <laughs> at the doctor's. You know, turn, cough, see, you know, any growing warts or anything going on here we got to look at. It's really, really great to, you know, strip down in your tidy whities and sit on that butcher paper with your legs dangling <laughs> off like a little boy. It sometimes hit me. It's like the vulnerability of going to get my physical is a huge thing. But sometimes people come to church and they're coming here to get their spiritual. And their legs are dangling off spiritually. And it's like, this is so weird in here. You're stripping me down to my knickers. And they walk in like you're not in your underwear. Hey, how's she going? It's sunny outside today, isn't it? It's like, can we just get to business. I want to get my pants back on. But I'm in there and guess what? I have to wear my mask. I don't have to wear my mask anywhere, anymore, ever. World without end. Amen. Right? And I, you know, I don't mind, and I mind. <laughs> but you know what hit me when I put that thing on? I was sitting in the waiting room, and I was in there, is the smell of my own breath <laughs> and the condensation of my own saliva was building up in there. And everything about that feel and that smell took me back to a time in history in our church where I got obliterated with the maskers and the anti-maskers. And I'm like, I know I never want to go back to that again in my life. It just took me to hurt. Doesn't take much. You're coming into to Heron and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, honey, this is Heron, it's the name of our son. Oh my gosh. And she starts falling apart and you start falling apart and you're like, I don't know, something about this place just feels, feels like it touches something inside of me. Let's just stay here, babe. Has your memory of a person ever become a place you end up living? passage goes on, Genesis 12, 1 through 4, and says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. 
and I'll make you into a great nation, Abram, and I'll bless you and I'll make your name great and you're going to be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, including us in this room, all as Gentiles. And so Abram went as the Lord commanded him. He went to the same place. I want you to go to Canaan just like I told your dad to go to Canaan, but I want you to go to Canaan. And he went, and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. That just hit me like a ton of bricks this last week. It says in Genesis 12, four, that Abram set out from Haran. His dad and his mom got him that far. They didn't get him all the way to Canaan, but they got him as far as they could with the tools they had at their disposal. What if our parents got some credit for getting us out of Ur and we changed our focus to how we're going to get our kids out of Haran? You ever been angry when your parents didn't teach you something or they didn't do something right in your upbringing? What if they got you as far as they could based on where they came from and what they went through? I'm just asking, is that a possibility? I was talking last night. Heidi's dad didn't have her mom or her dad never had his mom or dad, her grandparents ever say I love you to her dad until he was like 39, 40 when he lost his job. And her dad says that all the time. And maybe he doesn't communicate everything. And maybe he's uncomfortable in certain situations, certain social situations. But if you look at her family, totally different. If you look at my dad, it's the same thing. He was a Presbyterian farmer guy, taciturn, not talkative, stoic guy. And my dad was light years ahead of the way his dad treated him. Light years. So you get any credit for that. Man. Man. When we focus on the journey instead of the destination, our parents' story instead of where they got stuck, we're more kind in our parents' performance review. And you all have one. Instead of being mad they didn't get us all the way to Canaan, we can be thankful they got us 641 miles closer to the desired destination from where they started. They didn't set out from Haran like you. They may have actually had a harder journey even though they didn't get quite as far. By the time you set out from where they got you, you only had 426 miles left according to this story. It would have been a 1,067 mile journey without their contribution. That's gotta be worth something. That's gotta be worth something. How far would you have gotten if you lost one of your kids tragically? How long will you criticize your mom and dad for the 426 miles they fell short instead of the 640 miles of ground covered? Success is relative to the starting line. Remember, my dad would call me on the phone. In our phone conversations, he'd say the same thing over and over again. He never asked me questions. I always had to ask the questions and you can ask my wife. I'd get done talking to him. Say, how is that? And I was like, it's pretty much like the last conversation. Second verse, same as the first. I'm doing all the talking. I'm the conversationalist. I'm interrogating him with questions. And I'm like, dad, ask me something. Dad, ask me something. I got a lot of cool stuff going on, but I'm not gonna give it to you unsolicited. And he just, he wasn't that guy. 
And it just hit me this last week. You know what? At least your dad called you. His dad never called him once in his whole life. Not once. At least he said, I love you. His dad didn't say, I love you. His mom and dad, they were farmers in the Casco Mountains. They weren't tender. They didn't hug us grandkids. They didn't hug anybody. They didn't talk to anybody. At least your dad did those things with you. Not to the degree you do them with your kids, but you left Haran. They left Ur. Give them a break. What if your new mantra going forward after today is, I get to finish what they started? I'm going to honor their sacrifice and get my kids into the promised land, making good on their investment in my inheritance. I want to let my kids know that so they don't make the mistake of giving me all the credit for getting them into the end zone. Our parents aren't perfect, but they did a whole lot of blocking for all of us to get our first downs and our touchdowns. And blockers never get credit. Your parents were the break walls and the lighthouse and you're in the harbor because of them. And it's not sexy to be the lighthouse or the break wall, but that's what they are for us. Given some credit for blocking. Goes on, says, the Lord said, Abraham, I want you to go to the land I'm gonna show you and I'm gonna make your, your name great and the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed by you. Just some final charges as we leave Abraham's story and head out today. I want to focus on you. Before you can move forward, you have to know where you've come from. I like to think of it as a rowboat, like a rowboat. Sometimes the best way to move forward is to look backward, and you're looking backward, but you're going that direction. And you're going forward, you're looking backward. God doesn't ever waste your pain. If you're anything like Abram, and most of us are, we will be called to move into the future even while we're carrying hurt from our own past. You'll have to do things afraid, and like a good wrestler, you're gonna have to learn to fight the good fight with an injury on most days, and you can lead with a limp. You can. Abram could be no, not gonna do it. I lost my brother. My wife's infertile. It's breaking her heart. I lost my dad and Taryn. He was just he zoned out. I've had a hard life. I'm not doing it. He's like, man, I've had a hard life, but I'm going to take it from here, dad. I'm going to take it from here. God often calls us to go to places before we know everything. In this story, he told Abram to go first, and then he would show him the where and the why as he was on his way. You'll never know enough to get ready. That's why Abram was called the father of faith. You know, it's so interesting. My dad grew up as a farmer in the Catskill Mountains. And his brother went into farming. His two sisters, my Aunt Anne and Uncle Jeannie, they married farmers. And my dad decided to break away and to move out and to go into ministry. And we didn't know this until after my dad died. My Uncle Rick came to the funeral and said, my dad... Your dad's dad talked to me and said, Ricky, you need to stay close to Chucky. I'm worried about Chucky because he's moving out from the known of his background into what God called him to do. And I didn't give him enough credit for that. 
Last, no matter where you've been or what you've been through, your primary calling is to be a blessing to all peoples on the earth. God wants to make you great. He said so, but he will only bless you if you choose to be a blessing to others. That is greatness. I pray this prayer often. God, please bless me so that I can bless you by being a blessing to others. I don't know what landed in different people's hearts. This is a different kind of sermon, I know. But I pray that you'll give us a mercy and compassion and grace to the generations who have come before. That we'll be more inquisitive of their lives. That we'll be so grateful for their sacrifice. And I know everybody in this room has so many misgivings from the mistakes of their parents, but can we please have a different lens that we look at them and thank them for who they are, not who they haven't been. How far they've gotten us rather than how far they fell short. God, heal all of our hearts from the hits we take along the way where we're sideswiped and sucker punched, things come out of nowhere, and we're setting out to go somewhere with vim and vigor and we get knocked off our feet, I pray that we'll be able to get back up today and know that you're calling us to go out, to be a blessing with our lives, that we would lead with a limp into the future and pass on to the next generation a sense of wonder and hope possibility and potential. There are some here that are hurting very, very badly from some loss in their lives and we just pray that you would comfort the afflicted in this place. Give them a sense of your presence and peace and power today and into the future. And with the generations, the one before us, the one we're in, the ones to come behind us, God. May we be opening our hands and saying, God, use us, call us forward, even in the hurt, and make something of us, God. Make something of us. We love you, and we thank you for your word written thousands of years ago. It's like it's reading our mail. It's where we live. Help us to have grace on ourselves and to forgive ourselves and mercy on ourselves here today. No more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation. We give it to you. Heal our stories, God, and use us for your glory. And we pray this in your son's name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, you're dismissed today. If you want to pray with the prayer team, they're up here. If you've got something in your heart you want to work through and prayer for.